good morning, St. George's. It's great to uh, be with you this day. Amanda and I had a great trip, and I'm excited to be back to share God's word with you this morning. So this morning, again, we're looking at Acts 9, verses 1 to 19, as we draw our attention to the conversion of Saul. Now, we recall that we, when we looked at the martyrdom of Stephen a few weeks back, we saw, that, we saw that Saul of Tarsus was introduced. Saul who gave consent to that murderous act and stood by. Luke then moves on in Acts to tell us about the ministry of Philip among the Samaritans and to the Ethiopian eunuch. And now in our passage this morning, we return to the narrative of this man, Saul of Tarsus. This is the first of three accounts of Saul's conversion that we have here in the book of Acts. So let's jump right into the text. Again, that's Acts 9, verses 1 to 19. Here's our first chunk, verses 1 to 2. Verse 1, we hear that Saul is breathing threats and murder against the disciples of Christ. Right? Saul is essentially breathing death, murder, and threats at the core of his very being. He thinks he's doing the right thing, and yet as we see in Acts and in our passage here, he's found opposing God. Verses 1 to 2, we hear that Saul gets the okay from the high priest to head to Damascus to hunt down those who belong to the way, right? He essentially gets the arrest warrants to hunt these folks down, these disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would be bound, imprisoned, And even killed, like Stephen. Now think of this scene, friends. Think of this man, Saul of Tarsus, right? Remember this, friends. As R.D. said a few weeks back, anybody can be saved. Anyone can be saved. And so as we look to this text on hand this morning, we remember the mercy of God in Jesus Christ, right? Even towards the greatest sinners, it's possible Anyone can be saved, right? Mercy that pardons the greatest sins. Think of it even in our our day, friends. Those who oppose God in our day, maybe those who persecute the church, those who are breathing death, threats, murder. Well, God can save anybody. Anyone can be saved. And so Saul is walking his whole life here up to this moment along the way of death, right? He's been doing this his whole life. He's been breathing threats and murder. He's been opposing God. And what we're about to see here, friends, is this supernatural work of God's grace. That's what we have here in the text, right? God essentially giving Saul of Tarsus a new and faithful heart. He will become Paul the Apostle, right? That he will no longer walk on the way of death, but that he will begin his journey on the way of life. On the road to Damascus, the Lord Jesus Christ will change his life. That's what will happen here in our text. And the same way, right? The same way of life that Saul persecuted will now become his new way of being, his new way of life through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, friends, as we apply this to our lives, friend, do you remember when you were walking on the road toward death and destruction? Do you remember when, when you were opposing God? Do you remember when you were breathing death, right? Maybe even persecuting the church, right? Completely opposed to the things of God. Well, friends, I, I remember when I was, when I was so opposed to the things of God, but by a supernatural work of God's saving grace, the trajectory of a sinner's life can change, right? It's his work in salvation, in conversion. We see this in Saul. And so we praise the Lord for when this happens. It's his work, not our own. Well, let's see how this conversion plays out for Saul of Tarsus. Look at verses 3 to 6. So verse 3, Saul is on his way, right? Again, his whole life he's been walking in the wrong direction. He's been opposing Christ. And here in verses 3 to 4, something remarkable takes place. Saul of Tarsus is confronted with the just one, with Jesus, the one who himself is the way. In these verses, we see, friends, that when God determines to save someone, he does not fail. Verse 3, we hear of this light, right? Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right? Put yourselves in the text, friends. This light, brighter than the sun, shines from heaven. Right? This stunning, glorious light. It's overwhelming. Saul of Tarsus is confronted in a deep sense with the light of Jesus Christ. Verse 4. Saul is overwhelmed to the point that he falls to the ground. Right? He's physically overwhelmed. He falls to the ground and he hears a voice. He hears a voice repeat his name. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This repetition of, the, of his name, Saul, Saul, shows us that this voice speaking to him intimately and personally knows him, right? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you hunting me down with this evil intent? Why are you persecuting me? I know you. Why are you doing this to me? Now Saul is overwhelmed by this mighty work of God. And in the story of Saul, friends, we see the story of salvation. We see God causing a sinner to be born again, right? giving him a new heart that will repent and believe and walk in obedience, who will trust, who will be filled with the Spirit. Verse 5, Saul says, Who are you? Lord, who are you, Lord? Saul is trying to find out the identity of this voice, but one thing he does know, this is no ordinary voice. This is no worldly Lord. Saul knows the voice he is hearing is the voice of the supreme Lord, the master, the Lord of heaven and earth. Verse five, the voice says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, a passing note, friends, but an important note, Jesus identifies himself so closely with his church. 
with those who trust him and follow him, that to persecute Jesus' disciples is in turn to persecute Jesus. Right? Why are you persecuting me? Now, can you imagine Saul in this moment? Can you imagine what, what he's thinking, right? He's, he fell to the ground. He's overwhelmed by this mighty work of God. He's confronted by Jesus. The Lord Jesus appears to him. And we see that God works in Saul of Tarsus. Now, Acts 22, verse 10, shows us what Saul's response is, actually. Saul says this, What shall I do, Lord? Right? What shall you have me do, Master? What shall I do, Lord? Now, that's conversion, friends. That's the right question. Right? The process of conversion leads to obedience in Christ. What shall you have me do, Lord? What shall I do? Saul's whole life changes in a moment by God's grace. Right? It's nothing that Saul had done. What shall you have me do? Friends, this is a question that we must never stop asking. What shall you have me do, Lord? What shall I do? So Saul submitted to Christ without reserve. Right? He wanted to know what the Lord Jesus would have him do. The merciful Lord here calling a sinner like Saul. Jesus says in verse 6, But rise and enter the city. Now in one sense, friends, I can't help but thinking, I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. Rise and I'll bring you to the heavenly city, ultimately. Saul comes under the lordship of Christ here. And immediately in the text, Saul is commanded to get up and to go to Damascus, this old ancient city. As he continues his pilgrimage here on earth, and now he's under the lordship of Christ, the heavenly king. Truly, as a believer, on the way to the new heavens. Okay, verses 7 to 9 of Acts chapter 9. Let's keep moving here. Verses 7 to 9. We hear of the men who were traveling with Saul, and they stood speechless. They heard the voice, but they saw no one. Again, later in Acts, Acts 22, verse 9, this sheds light on the reality that these men who were traveling with Saul, they did not understand the voice of Christ. And back in Acts 9, verse 7, they heard the voice, but saw no one. So verses 7 to 9, Jesus had appeared to Saul, but the others did not see him. And as Saul got up from this encounter with Christ, Saul's eyes were opened, but he saw nothing. Right after this whole encounter with Christ, he was in the dark. He was blind. Now, here what we see, friends, is a physical manifestation of Saul's spiritual blindness that so characterized his life up to this point of conversion. Right? In one sense, friends, his whole life flashes before his eyes for three days in darkness. He was spiritually blind. Right? This physical manifestation is seen here in his physical blindness. Friends, do you remember when you were in the dark? When you were blind, without spiritual sight, like Saul's life up to this point? We hear that Saul is led 
by the hand to Damascus, right? He, he can't see. For three days, he could not see, and he also did not eat or drink. Now, as we pull out a spiritual application to this, we see that essentially Saul's sins were set before him, right? Saul is seeing his sin for what it is, right? He, he sees his life for what it was up to this point, that he was living in darkness, Spiritual blindness caught opposing God. He'd been living blind. Saul's life up to this episode of conversion, he was, again, without spiritual sight, and he was also without spiritual nourishment because he opposed Christ who nourishes him with true food and true drink. So we see these physical manifestations here. He's blind, he doesn't eat or drink. And we see the spiritual application underneath that. Three days in darkness, in hunger, and thirst, right? Three days for Saul to contemplate what his life had been like up to now, to see his sin for what it was, to contemplate what happened to him on the road and what was happening to him and in him, and to be in prayer. Now, Matthew Henry, the Bible commentator, He said it best when commenting on this passage. He said this, When a sinner is brought to a proper sense of his own state and conduct, he will cast himself wholly on the mercy of the Savior, asking what he would have him do. Right In repentance and in faith, that God will direct the humbled sinner. That's what we see here. Saul brought low, humbled, And as a sinner is confronted with their sin and even distressed in conscience, that he will, God will, ultimately bring them to joy and peace through faith in Christ. So essentially, friends, what we're seeing here is that Saul was being brought from a state of spiritual blindness and spiritual starvation to a state of spiritual sight and spiritual nourishment through faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, we know there is no nourishment and there is no vision. There is no sight in anybody else. Saul is confronted physically with that reality here in the text. Okay, let's keep pushing forward. Verses 10 to 16, bigger chunk here. Verse 10, we hear of this man, Ananias. Obviously not the man who was struck dead for his hypocrisy back in chapter 5. Acts 22, verse 12, talks about this man, Ananias of Damascus, and he's described as a devout man according to the law and well-spoken by all the Jews who lived there. As well, he's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, of course. Now, verses 11 to 12 of Acts chapter 9, Jesus shows up. He comes to Ananias and tells him to go to the street called Straight where he would find this man, Saul of Tarsus, at this house of Judas. And Saul was praying. And Saul had also seen a vision that this man, Ananias, would come to him and lay his hands on him that Saul might regain his sight. God was working in Saul that Saul would have spiritual sight. So this street called Straight, this is where it would all go down. The street called Straight, the Straight Road. Saul had been journeying around a, on a crooked path his whole life, 
And now he was brought to the the straight and narrow path that leads to life through faith in Christ. The way in which he was persecuting will become the way in which he walks, right? From blind to seeing, from crooked to straight, from death to life. In conversion, Saul is in deep prayer, we see here in the text, as God is at work within him. Verses 13 to 14, Ananias of Damascus, he he questions the Lord because of who Saul was, right? He had heard about Saul because of he'd heard about Saul's evil, and so he questions the Lord. And plus, Saul went with the authority of the chief priests, Ananias said, right? He went with the authority of the chief priests to to imprison those who belong to the way. It's like Ananias forgets who he is speaking to here. Right? Ananias is speaking to the author of life, no less. Christ, the high priest who has supreme authority, the Lord of heaven and earth. Ananias thinks that he might know better than the author of life. He questions Now, friends, how often do we do the same thing? How often do each of us question the author of life, the Lord Jesus Christ? How often do we say, here I am, Lord, but then question what the Lord wants us to do? Right? Too often, friends, that's exactly what we do, myself and you. Instead, we must be like Saul in the humility of his conversion, who said, What shall I do, Lord? And he immediately obeyed, right? What shall I do? And then live this life of obedience through faith in Jesus Christ. This humble obedience. Because the Lord's ways are always better than our own. He knows best. So the Lord says to Ananias, after Ananias' concern, go. Saul is a chosen instrument of mine, an elect vessel for my glory, for the gospel, right? One who would carry the name of Jesus before Gentiles and kings and Israel. Saul would become Paul the apostle who would endure persecution and suffering for the sake of the gospel. And God would change the world through Paul's gospel ministry. Now verses 17 to 19. Now friends, as we reflect on this thus far, we realize that we too, with our own gifts, are chosen vessels. All believers are saints, right? Set apart for God's purposes in Jesus Christ. Friends, we too are vessels, elect vessels, chosen vessels. We are instruments in the hands of Christ the King, the author of life. We too are called to the ministry of the gospel to preach the apostolic word, right? We too will endure persecution for this, for the sake of Jesus' name. But let us not be discouraged, friends. Let the purpose of our life be found in the reality that, that we are vessels of Christ's gospel, that Christ's glory and love would be on display in what we preach and how we act, that this would be the purpose of our life, that God's glory would shine through, find meaning and truth in that. Verse 17. So the Lord works through Ananias here in Acts. 
Ananias, who did end up walking in obedience. And here in Acts, we, we see Saul saved, right? He's changed. He's converted. He's regenerated and brought to faith. Saul enters new life with a new identity in Christ. The one who will be remembered as Paul, the apostle, the great evangelist. And the Lord works through Ananias here in verses 17 to 19 as the spirit is poured out on more and more through the book of Acts, right? From Pentecost to the ends of the earth, right? That all believers would be equipped with the power of the Holy Spirit. Jews and Gentiles alike. This is the story that Acts tells. That God is doing a a unique thing here in Acts as he builds his earliest church. So now Saul called a brother. We see this. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Brother Saul, right? A fellow believer, a countryman whose citizenship is in heaven. Friends, Jesus, the way, appeared to Saul on the road, the way. And the trajectory of his life changed, right? Blind to sight, spiritual sight. That's what Saul gains through faith in Christ. And he's equipped for ministry by the Holy Spirit who fills him. Now, verse 18, immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he could see, he could truly see for Saul of Tarsus was in Christ. And Saul walks in obedience again, rising, right? From death to life. Saul is then baptized. He is nourished, right? Taking food, strengthened. Ultimately, he's spiritually nourished in Christ. The scales of ignorance and pride are taken away. Saul of Tarsus sees Jesus for who he is, the Lord of heaven and earth. Friends, I pray that we see that today too, that we see Jesus, the truth, the way, and the life. A good work that was Begun in Saul, the Lord brought to completion. And friends, Christ will always finish the good work that he starts in every believer who trusts him and walks by faith. And so, let us be encouraged this day. God can save anyone. Christians here today, let us always keep our conversion in view. And let us be forever grateful that we have been brought from being blind to truly seeing Friend here today, the world offers you worldly wisdom, which only leads to worldly vision. But friend, you've walked that road already. The ways of the world have left you feeling broken, aimless, hopeless, and stumbling around in the dark. So here's the invitation. Come to Christ. Encounter the Savior. Believe in him and you'll be saved from death and destruction brought from death to life, from blind to sight, living in the light of Christ. And then you will see with the true lens, you'll see clearly, right? As you will live the way of Jesus, this way of life, who himself is the truth, the way, and the life, receiving the forgiveness of your sins, that you start living the faith and the way of Jesus today. And you change your mind and turn from the worldly ways Believing in the heavenly king, trusting him as your Lord and Savior. His ways are so much better than the ways of the world. And we can find purpose and meaning and salvation in him as he saves us 
from the wrath of God. You've been longing for the peace and joy of Christ your whole life. So trust him by faith and you will truly see. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this great text of the conversion of Saul. We thank you for the work of the Apostle Paul. Lord, equip us as vessels that we bring the gospel to those who need it most. It's in your precious name, Jesus, that we pray.